0: Escape Pod. 418. October 17, 2013. The Dollar Horse. By Michael Swanwick.
1: Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm your host and editor, Norm Sherman. This week we've got a fantastic story about lost eras, lost technologies, and lost innocence. We bring you The Dollar Horse by Michael Swanwick. Michael Swanwick has the unique distinction of having received a Hugo Award for fiction in five out of six years, and has been honored with the Nebula, Theodore Sturgeon, and World Fantasy Awards, as well as receiving nominations for the British Science Fiction Award and the Arthur C. Clarke Award. He lives in Philadelphia with his wife, Marianne Porter. The story is read to you by Michael Liebman. Michael's a naval veteran living in Atlanta, Georgia, who sells filk and Celtic music at local highland games and Celtic festivals. He's also an amateur voice actor who's made appearances in many sci-fi shows, including an array of Star Trek fanfics and the Babylon 5 fanfic Novo Babylonia. This story originally appeared on Tour.com, July 2007. So bust out your map and knapsack, because it's story time.
2: The Dalla Horse by michael swanwick something terrible had happened linnea did not know what it was but her father had looked pale and worried and her mother had told her very fiercely be brave and now she had to leave and it was all the result of that terrible thing the three of them lived in a red wooden house with steep black roofs by the edge of the forest from the window of her little room linnea could see a small lake Silver with ice, very far away. The design of the house was unchanged from all the way back in the days of the coffin people, who buried their kind in beautiful polished boxes with metal fittings like nothing anyone made any more. Uncle Olaf made a living hunting down their coffin sites and salvaging the metal from them. He wore a necklace of gold rings he had found, tied together with a silver wire. Don't go near any roads, her father had said, especially the old ones. He'd given her a map. This will help you find your grandmother's house. More and more? No, far more. My mother, in Godestore. Godistor was a small settlement on the other side of the mountain. Linnea had no idea how to get there, but the map would tell her. Her mother gave her a little knapsack stuffed with food and a quick hug. She shoved something deep in the pocket of Linnea's coat and said, "'Now go, before it comes.' "'Good-bye, more far,' Linnea had said formally, and bowed. Then she'd left. So it was that Linnea found herself walking up a long, snowy slope, straight up the side of the mountain. It was tiring work, but she was a dutiful little girl. The weather was harsh, but whenever she started getting cold, She just turned up the temperature of her coat. At the top of the slope she came across a path, barely wide enough for one person, and so she followed it onward. It did not occur to her that this might be one of the roads her father had warned her about. She did not wonder at the fact that it was completely bare of snow. After a while, though, Linnea began to grow tired. So she took off her knapsack and dropped it in the snow alongside the trail and started to walk away. Wait, the knapsack said, you left me behind. Linnea stopped. I'm sorry, she said, but you're too heavy for me to carry. If you can't carry me, said the knapsack, then I'll have to walk. So it did. On she went, followed by the knapsack, until she came to a fork in the road. One way went upward and the other down. Linnea looked from one to the other. She had no idea which to take. Why don't you get out the map, her knapsack suggested. So she did. Carefully, so as not to tear, the map unfolded. Contour lines squirmed across its surface as it located itself. Blue streamlines ran downhill. Black roads and stitched red trails went where they would. We're here, said the map, placing a pinprick light at its center. Where would you like to go? To Farmore, Linnea said. She's in Store. That's a long way. Do you know how to read maps? No. Then take the road to the right. Whenever you come across another road, take me out, and I'll tell you which way to go. On Linnea went, until she could go no farther, and sat down in the snow beside the road. Get up, the knapsack said. You have to keep going. The muffled voice of the map which Linnea had stuffed back into the knapsack, said, "'Keep straight on. Don't stop now.' "'Be silent, both of you,' Linnea said, and of course they obeyed. She pulled off her mittens and went through her pockets to see if she remembered to bring any toys. She hadn't. But in the course of looking, she found the object her mother had thrust into her coat. It was a dallahorse. horses came in all sizes— but this one was small. They were carved out of wood and painted bright colors with a harness of flowers. Linnea's horse was red. She had often seen it resting on a high shelf in her parents' house. Dalla horses were very old. They came from the time of the coffin people who lived long ago, before the time of the strange folk. The coffin people and the strange folk were all gone now. Now there were only Swedes." Linnea moved the Dalla horse up and down, as if it were running. "'Hello, little horse,' she said. "'Hello,' said the Dalla horse. "'Are you in trouble?' Linnea thought. "'I don't know,' she admitted at last. "'Then most likely you are. You mustn't sit in the snow like that, you know. You'll burn out your coat's batteries.' "'But I'm bored. There's nothing to do.' "'I'll teach you a song. But first—' You have to stand up." A little sulkily, Linnea did so. Up the darkening road she went again, followed by the knapsack. Together she and the Dallahorse sang, Hark, through the darksome night, Sounds come her winging. Lo, tis the queen of light, Joyfully singing. The shadows were getting longer and the depths of the woods to either side turned black. Birch-trees stood out in the gloom like thin white ghosts. Linnea was beginning to stumble with weariness until she saw a light ahead. At first she thought it was a house, but as she got closer it became apparent it was a campfire. There was a dark form slumped by the fire. For a second Linnea was afraid he was a troll. Then she saw that he wore human clothing and realized that he was a Norwegian or possibly a dame. So she started to run toward him. At the sound of her feet, the man leaped up. Who's there? he cried. Stay back! I've got a cudgel! Linnea stopped. It's only me, she said. The man crouched a little, trying to see into the darkness beyond his campfire. Step closer, he said. And then, when she obeyed, WHAT ARE YOU? I'M JUST A LITTLE GIRL. CLOSER, THE MAN COMMANDED. WHEN LANAUS STOOD IN THE CIRCLE OF FIRELIGHT, HE SAID, IS THERE ANYBODY ELSE WITH YOU? NO, I'M ALL ALONE. UNEXPECTEDLY, THE MAN THREW HIS HEAD BACK AND LAUGHED. OH GOD, HE SAID, OH GOD, OH GOD, OH GOD, I WAS SO AFRAID. FOR A MOMENT THERE I THOUGHT YOU WERE. WELL, NEVER MIND. HE THREW HIS STICK INTO THE FIRE. WHAT'S THAT BEHIND YOU? I'M HER KNAPSACK, THE KNAPSACK SAID. AND I'M HER MAP, A SOFTER VOICE SAID. WELL, DON'T JUST LURK THERE IN THE DARKNESS. STAND BY YOUR MISTRESS. WHEN HE HAD BEEN OBEYED, THE MAN SEIZED Linnea BY THE SHOULDERS. HE HAD MORE HAIR AND beard THAN ANYONE SHE HAD EVER SEEN and his face was rough and red. My name is Gunther, and I'm a dangerous man, so if I give you an order, don't even think of disobeying me. I walked here from Finland, across the Gulf of Bothnia. That's a long, long way on a very dangerous bridge, and there are not many men alive today who could do that. Linnea nodded, though she was not sure she understood. "'You're a Swede. You know nothing. You have no idea what the world is like. You haven't—tasted its possibilities. You've never let your fantasies eat your living brain.' Linnea couldn't make any sense out of what Gunther was saying. She thought he must have forgotten she was a little girl.' You stayed here and led ordinary lives while the rest of us... His eyes were wild. I've seen horrible things, horrible, horrible things. He shook Linnea angrily. I've done horrible things as well. Remember that. I'm hungry, Linnea said. She was. She was so hungry her stomach hurt. Gunther stared at her as if he were seeing her for the first time. Then he seemed to dwindle a little, and all the anger went out of him. "'Well, let's see what's in your knapsack. Come here, little fellow.' The knapsack trotted to Gunther's side. He rummaged within and removed all the food Linnea's mother had put in it. Then he started eating. "'Hey!' Linnea said. "'That's mine!' One side of the man's mouth rose in a snarl." but he shoved some bread and cheese into Linnea's hands. Here! Gunther ate all the smoked herring without sharing. Then he wrapped himself in a blanket and lay down by the dying fire to sleep. Linnea got out her own little blanket from the knapsack and lay down on the opposite side of the fire. She fell asleep almost immediately. But in the middle of the night, Linnea woke up. Somebody was talking quietly in her ear. It was the Dallahorse. You must be extremely careful with Gunther, the Dallahorse whispered. He is not a good man. Is he a troll? Linnea whispered back. Yes, I thought so. But I'll do my best to protect you. Thank you. Linnea rolled over and went back to sleep. In the morning, Troll Gunther kicked apart the fire, slung his pack over his shoulder, and started up the road. He didn't offer Linnea any food, but there was still some bread and cheese from last night which she had stuffed in a pocket in her coat, so she ate that. Gunther walked faster than Linnea did, but whenever he got too far ahead, he'd stop and wait for her. Sometimes the knapsack carried Linnea, but because it only had enough energy to do so for a day, usually she carried it instead. When she was bored, Linnea sang the song she learned the previous day. At first, she wondered why the troll always waited for her when she lagged behind. But then, one of the times he was far ahead, she asked the Dalla horse, and it said, He's afraid and he's superstitious. He thinks that a little girl who walks through the wilderness by herself must be lucky. Why is he afraid? He's being hunted by something even worse than he is. At noon, they stopped for lunch. Because Linnea's food was gone, Gunther brought out food from his own supplies. It wasn't as good as what Linnea's mother had made, but when Linnea said so, Gunther snorted, You're lucky I'm sharing it all. He stared off into the empty woods in silence for a long time. Then he said, You're not the first girl I've encountered on my journey, you know. There was another whom I met in what remained of Hamburg. When I left, she came with me. Even knowing what I'd done, she. He fished out a locket and thrust it at Linnea. Look! Inside the locket was a picture of a woman. She was an ordinary pretty woman. Just that and nothing more. What happened to her? Linnea asked. The troll grimaced, showing his teeth. I ate her. His look was wild as wild could be. If we run out of food, I may have to cook and eat you, too. I know, Linnea said. Trolls were like that. She was familiar with the stories. They'd eat anything. They'd even eat people. They'd even eat other trolls. Her book said so. Then, because he hadn't told her yet, Where are you going? I don't know. "'Someplace safe.' "'I'm going to Godestor. My map knows the way.' For a very long time, Guther mulled that over. At last, almost reluctantly, he said,
0: "'Is it
2: safe there, do you think?' Linnea nodded her head emphatically. "'Yes!' Pulling the map from her knapsack, Guther said, "'How far is it to Godestor?' It's on the other side of the mountain, a day's walk if you stay on the road, and twice, maybe three times that if you cut through the woods. Why in the blazes would I want to cut through the woods? He stuffed the map in the knapsack. Okay, kid, we're going to God's Store. That afternoon, a great darkness rose up behind them. "'intensifying the shadows between the trees "'and billowing up high above "'until half the sky was black as chimney-soot. "'Linnea had never seen a sky like that. "'An icy wind blew down upon them, "'so cold that it made her cry "'and then froze the tears on her cheeks. "'Little whirlwinds of snow lifted off of the drifts "'and danced over the empty black road. "'They gathered in one place, still swirling, "'in the ghostly white form of a woman.' It raised an arm to point at them. A dark vortex appeared in its head, like a mouth opening to speak. With a cry of terror, Gunther bolted from the road and went running uphill between the trees. Where the snow was deep, he bowled his way through it. Clumsily, Linnea ran after him. She couldn't run very fast, and at first it looked like the troll would leave her behind. But halfway up the slope, Gunther glanced over his shoulder and stopped. He hesitated then ran back to her. Snatching up Linnea, he placed her on his shoulders. Holding on to her legs so she wouldn't fall, he shambled uphill. Linnea clutched his head to hold herself steady. The snow lady didn't follow. The further from the road Gunther fled, the warmer it became. By the time he crested the ridge, it was merely cold. But as he did so, the wind suddenly howled so loud behind them that it sounded like a woman screaming. It was slow going without a road underfoot. After an hour or so, Gunther stumbled to a stop in the middle of a stand of spruce and put Linnea down. "'We're not out of this yet,' he rumbled. "'She knows we're out here somewhere, and she'll find us. Never doubt it. She'll find us.' He stamped an open circle of snow flat. Then he ripped boughs from the spruce trees and threw them in a big heap to make a kind of mattress— after which he snapped limbs from a dead tree and built a fire in the center of the circle. When the fire was ready, instead of getting out flint and steel, he tapped a big ring on one finger and then jabbed his fist at the wood. It burst into flames. Linnea laughed and clapped her hands. Do it again! Grimly, he ignored her. As the woods grew darker and darker, Gunther gathered and stacked enough wood to last the night. Meanwhile, Linnea played with the dallow horse. She made a forest out of spruce twigs stuck in the snow. Gallop, gallop, gallop went the horse all the way around the forest, and then hop, hop, hop to a little clearing she had left in the center. It reared up on its hind legs and looked at her. "'What's that you have?' Gunther demanded, dropping a thunderous armload of branches onto the woodpile. "'Nothing.' Linnea hid the horse inside her sleeve. It better be nothing. Gunther got out the last of her mother's food, divided it in two, and gave her the smaller half. They ate. Afterwards he emptied the knapsack of her blanket and map and hoisted it in his hand. This is where we made our mistake, he said. First we taught things how to talk and think; then we let them inside our heads; and finally we told them to invent new thoughts for us. Tears running down his cheeks, He stood and cocked his arm. Well, we're done with this one at any rate. Please don't throw me away, the knapsack said. I can still be useful carrying things. We have nothing that needs carrying. You would only slow us down. Gunther flung the knapsack into the fire. Then he turned his glittering eye on the map. At least keep me, the map said, so you'll always know where you are and where you're going. I'm right here, and I'm going as far from here as I can get. The troll threw the map after the knapsack with a small cry like that of a seabird. It went up in flames. Gunther sat back down, then he leaned back on his elbows, staring up into the sky. Look at that, he said. Linnea looked the sky was full of lights. they shifted like curtains. She remembered how her uncle Olaf had once told her that the aurora borealis was caused by a giant fox far to the north swishing its tail in the sky. But this was much brighter than that. There were sudden snaps of light, and red and green stars that came and went as well. That's the white lady breaking through your country's defenses. The snow woman on the road was only ascending. An echo. The real thing will be through them soon, and then God help us both. Suddenly, Gunther was crying again. I'm sorry, child. I brought this down on you and your nation. I thought she wouldn't... that she couldn't... follow me. The fire snapped and crackled, sending sparks flying up into the air. Its light pushed back the darkness, but not far. After a very long silence, Gunther gruffly said, Lie down! He wrapped the blanket around Linnea with care and made sure she had plenty of spruce boughs below her. Sleep. And if you wake up in the morning, you'll be a very fortunate little girl. When Linnea started to drop off, the Dallahor spoke in her head. I'm not allowed to help you until you're in grave danger, it said. But that time is fast approaching. All right, Onea said. If Gunther tries to grab you or pick you up or even just touch you, you must run away from him as far as you can. I like Gunther. He's a nice troll. No, he isn't. He wants to be, but it's too late for that. Now sleep. I'll wake you if there's any danger. Thank you. Linnea said sleepily. "'Wake up,' the dollahorse said. "'But whatever you do, don't move!' Blinking, Linnea peeked out from under the blanket. The woods were still dark, and the sky was gray as ash. But in the distance she heard a soft boom, and then another slightly more emphatic boom, followed by a third and louder boom. It sounded like a giant was walking toward them. Then came a sound so tremendous it made her ears ache, and the snow leaped up into the air. A cool, shimmering light filled the forest, like that which plays on sand under very shallow lake water. A lady who hadn't been there before stood before the troll. She was naked and slender, and she flickered like a pale candle flame. She was very beautiful, too. Oh, Gunther, the lady murmured, only she drew out the name so that it sounded like Gunther. How will I have missed my little Gunchen? Troll Gunther bent down almost double, so that it looked as if he were worshipping the lady. But his voice was angrier than Linnea had ever heard it. Don't call me that! Only she had that right, and you killed her! She died trying to escape you! He straightened and glared up at the lady. It was only then that Linnea realized that the lady was twice as tall as he was. You think I don't know all about that? I, who taught you pleasures that... The lady stopped. Is that a child? Brusquely, Gunther said, It's nothing but a piglet I trust and gagged and brought along as food. The lady strode noiselessly over the frozen ground, until she was so close that all Linnea could see of her were her feet. They glowed a pale blue, and they did not quite touch the ground. She could feel the lady's eyes through the blanket. sir, is that Linnea you have with you? With her limbs as sweet as sugar, and her heart hammering as hard as that of a little mouse caught in the talons of an owl?' The Dalahorse stirred in Linnea's hand, but did not speak. "'You can't have her!' Gunther growled. But there was fear in his voice, and uncertainty, too. "'I don't want her, Gunther!' the white lady sounded amused. "'You do! A piglet, you said! Trust and gagged! How long has it been since you had a full belly? You were in the wastes of Poland, I believe.' You can't judge me. We were starving, and she died, and I... You have no idea what it was like. You helped her die, didn't you, Gunther? No! 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 You tossed a coin to see who it would be. That was almost fair. But poor little Annalise trusted you to make the toss. So of course she lost. Did she struggle, Gunshan? Did she realize what you'd done before she died? Gunther fell to his knees before the lady. Oh, please, he sobbed. Oh, please. Yes, I am a bad man. A very bad man. But don't make me do this. All this time, Linnea was hiding under her blanket, quiet as a kitten. Now she felt the Dallahorse walking up her arm. What I am about to do is a crime against innocent, it said, for which I most sincerely apologize. But the alternative would be so much worse. Then it climbed inside her head. First, the Dalla horse filled Linnea's thoughts until there was no room for anything else. Then it pushed outward in all directions, so that her head swelled up like a balloon, and the rest of her body as well. Every part of her felt far too large. The blanket couldn't cover her any more, so she threw it aside. She stood. Linnea stood, and as she stood her thoughts cleared and expanded. She did not think as a child would any more. Nor did she think as an adult. Her thoughts were much larger than that. They reached into high earth orbit and far down into the roots of the mountains, where miles-wide chambers of plasma trapped in magnetic walls held near infinite amounts of information. She understood now that the Dalahorse was only a node and a means of accessing ancient technology which no human being alive today could properly comprehend. Oceans of data were at her disposal, layered in orders of complexity. But out of consideration for her small, frail host, she was very careful to draw upon no more than she absolutely required. When Linnea ceased growing, she was every bit as tall as the White Lady. The two ladies stared at each other, high over the head of Gunther, who cringed fearfully between them. For the longest moment, neither spoke. Svea, the white woman said at last. Europa, Linnea said, my sister. Her voice was not that of a child, but she was still Linnea, even though the Dallahorse, and the entity beyond it, permeated her every thought. You are illegal here. I have a right to recover my own property, Europa gestured negligently downward. Who are you to stop me? I am this land's protector. You are a slave. Are you any less a slave than I? I don't see how. Your creators smashed your chains and put you in control. Then they told you to play with them. But you are still doing their bidding. Whatever I may be, I am here. And since I'm here, I think I'll stay. The population on the mainland has dwindled to almost nothing. I need fresh playmates. It's an old, old story that you tell, Svea said. I think the time has come to write an ending to it. They spoke calmly, destroyed nothing, made no threats. But deep within, where only they could see, Secret wars were being fought over codes and protocols, treaties, amendments, and letters of understanding written by governments that no man remembered. The resources of old Sweden, hidden in its bedrock sky and ocean waters, flickered into Svea Linnea's consciousness. All their powers were her to draw upon, and draw upon them she would if she had to. The only reason she hadn't yet was that she still harbored hopes of saving the child. Not all stories have happy endings, Europa replied. I suspect this one ends with your steadfast self melted it down into a puddle of lead and your infant sword made him burnt up like scraps of paper. That was never my story. I prefer the one about the little girl as strong as ten policemen who can lift up a horse in one hand. Large Linnea reached out to touch certain weapons. She was prepared to sacrifice a mountain and more than that if she need be. Her opponent, she saw, was making preparations, too. Deep within her, little Linnea burst into tears. Raising her voice in a wail, she cried, But what about my troll? Svea had done her best to protect the child from the darkest of her thoughts, and the Dalahorse had, too. But they could not hide everything from Linnea, and she knew Gunther was in danger. Both ladies stopped talking. Svea thought a silent question inward, and the Dalla horse intercepted it, softened it, and carried it to Linnea. What? Nobody cares about Gunther. Nobody asks what he wants. The Dalla horse carried her words to Svea, and then whispered to little Linnea, That was well said. It had been many centuries since Sveya had inhabited human flesh, She did not know as much about people as she once had. In this respect, Europa had her at a disadvantage. Svea, Linnea, and the Dallahorse all bent low to look within Gunther. Europa did not try to prevent them. It was evident that she believed they would not like what they saw. Nor did they. The troll's mind was a terrible place, half-shattered and barely functional. It was in such bad shape that major aspects of it had to be hidden from Linnea. Speaking directly to his core self, where he could not lie to her, Svea asked, "'What is it you want most?' Gunther's face twisted in agony. "'I do not want to have these terrible memories!' All in an instant, the triune lady saw what had to be done. She could not kill another land citizen, but this request she could honor. In that same instant... A pinpoint weight of brain cells within Gunther's mind were burnt to cinder. His eyes flew open wide. Then they shut. He fell motionless to the ground. Europa screamed. And she was gone. Big as she was, and knowing where she was going, and having no reason to be afraid of the roads anymore, it took the woman who was Fea, and to a lesser degree the dalahorse and to an even lesser degree, Lenea, no time at all to cross the mountain and come down on the other side. Singing a song that was older than she was, she let the miles and the night melt beneath her feet. By mid-morning she was looking down on Godestar. It was a trim little settlement of red and black wooden houses. Smoke wisped up from the chimneys. One of the buildings looked familiar to Lenea. It belonged to her far more. "'You are home, tiny ones,' Svea murmured and though she had greatly enjoyed the sensation of being alive, she let herself dissolve to nothing. Behind her, the Dalla horse's voice lingered in the air for the space of two words. Live well. Linnea ran down the slope, her footprints dwindling in the snow, and at their end, a little girl leaping into the arms of her astonished grandmother. In her wake lumbered Linnea's confused and yet hopeful pet troll, smiling shyly.
1: The Dollar Horse in the old days, a small carved and painted horse statuette, a traditional Swedish children's toy. But as hardships hit the country, the dollar horse gained popularity in other countries and became an important economic and bartering tool, the art of crafting the horses honed and perfected, keeping food on the tables of many communities. Today it's one of the few living folk traditions of Sweden still actively in place appropriate talisman for a story about old worlds and new advancement and forgotten ways much of this story is about that feeling of being a little red riding hood wandering the forest not really understanding the world or culture around you and trying to put the pieces together as best you can as you go is it magic is it technology is it fantasy or science fiction maybe it's set in a post-apocalyptic sweden Maybe it's just someone really high at Ikea. Either way, we hope you enjoyed. Let's go now to Escape Pod's assistant editor, Nathan Lee, with episode feedback. And after that, we're excited to announce that PodCastle's editor, Anne Leckie, has a new book available that we think you're going to love. Stay tuned after feedback to hear a promo for that. Take it away, Nathan.
3: Greetings and salutations, Escapodians. Assistant editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 414, Knowing by Matt Wallace. This was the story of The Answer, how we found it, what we did with it, and what happened afterward. Some even do the Christopher Moore connection, which I know was the first thing to pop into my mind. There was the usual wrangling about whether a story was science fiction, and while, granted, this time the Wranglers had decent grounds to stage a discussion, given the unquestioned existence of demons in accordance with Catholic theology, it's still a really boring thing to talk about, and I'm just going to wander on past it. The thread spent a lot of time trying to guess what the answer was, which was about as fruitful as you might expect, although it did lead to someone linking a really cool Nick Cave song. Infinite Monkey had an explanation, although first he had to explain that the story wasn't science fiction. But he then said, Well, that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I especially liked the hilariously foul-mouthed demon, though I would have rated the story stronger than it is just for that. More than anything else, what this story reminded me of was the famous Monty Python sketch, The Funniest Joke in the World. A joke's so funny that it literally kills on contact. The answer is a lot like that. Anything the author would offer would not compare with whatever your imagination can conjure, and in many ways, the answer is a MacGuffin. The answer isn't important. It's important what one does with it. Well, I think we'll leave things on that note this week. May you never find what you're looking for. Join us next week when the comments for episode 415 melt our faces off, and then Indiana Jones steals our box again anyway. See you then.
4: Hey everyone, Dave Thompson here from Podcastle to talk to you about our friend Anne Leckie and her debut novel out now from Morbid Books, Ancillary Justice. Anne's been a big part of the Escape Artist team for a while now, She's been working at PodCastle since the gates there opened, and before that, her work was featured here at Escape Pod. Check out episode 131, Hesperia and Glory, still one of my all-time favorites. She's also read quite a few stories for both Escape Pod and PodCastle, but her book is out in stores now, and it's begging you to be read. It's a humdinger of a science fiction book, an exciting, thought-provoking space opera about a spaceship's AI. Kind of. Kind of really about the AI and one particular meat puppet that's an aspect of said AI, who's gone rogue. It's really, really incredible. Here's Anne to tell you a little bit about it.
0: It took me a long time to get up enough courage to write Ancillary Justice. I knew a character like Breck would be difficult to write, or more specifically, a character like Justice of Toron 1-esque, because Breck is really only a fragment of 1-esque and is alone and single-bodied. So I knew 1-esque would be difficult to write. But the more I thought about it, the more convinced I became that it was a story that needed to be in first person, and that is scary. Because One Ask has 20 bodies, and all of them see and hear and speak and do things. It can be in 20 places at once, and doing different things in all of those 20 places. And really, One Ask is just a fragment of Justice of Toran, a starship that has even more bodies slave to it than just One Ask's 20. How do you tell a story from that point of view? How do you convey what that must be like to be seeing and doing so many things at once? So it was a long time before I felt like I could even just hold my nose and jump in and figure I'd find some way to stay afloat. Of course, one of the things that helps is that ancillary justice is really not a work of hard science fiction. I knew from the start I'd be going full-on cherry-flavored space opera. I know space opera was originally meant to be an insult, meant to be parallel to soap opera and horse opera. But personally, I love big, shiny adventures, and I think there's room in the world for all kinds of science fiction, from the most mundane to the grandest, most ridiculous popcorn. And opera often is that. Grand, melodramatic, brightly colored, and gorgeous. And ancillaries, human bodies slaved to artificially intelligent warships, well, that just cries out for space opera, doesn't it? But I did do some research along the way. I find that often, understanding how something happens in the real world really helps me get a handle on how to present it fictionally, even if accuracy isn't really my main goal. In this case, I started looking into questions of identity, of how and where we draw boundaries around ourselves. I already knew about phantom limbs. I knew that there was some fuzziness in what your brain thinks your body is and what's actually there. I figured there was more to learn about that. And the more I read, the more disturbing the whole question became. Who is any of us, really? How do we know we're each of us only one person? How do we know where we leave off and anyone else begins? That knowledge is fragile. It can change or vanish with the right changes to your brain. And in the end, do we really know why we do the things we do? Breck's not 100% sure why she does the things she does either. So even though in a lot of ways she's very, very different from you or me, in that way, she's very much the same.
4: Thanks, Anne. Guys, I'm biased because I think Anne Leckie's pretty awesome and I've been working with her for a long time, but I promise you, I wouldn't be here talking to you about this book if I didn't think it was amazing. I've read it, and if you're a fan of space opera or science fiction, I really can't recommend it enough. Ancillary Justice is a book that will nuke you from orbit and then send ancillaries planet side with blasters just to kick your ass all over again. It's smart it's fun it'll make you think people all over the internet are going nuts for it and I'd love it to reach as huge of an audience as possible I'd love to see it get nominated for all kinds of awards it's in bookstores and ebook stores now it'll be coming out to audible soon so please check it out thank you
1: cool can't wait to check it out Alright, folks, that's our show. Remember, Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and it's brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our show runs with the generous support of listeners such as yourself. Please consider donating to Escape Pod to help us pay authors and cover our operational costs by going to support options off our website, escapepod.org. Our opening and closing music is used with the permission of monster surf rock band Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.com. And our closing quotation this week comes from Aldous Huxley, who said, Technological progress has merely provided us with more efficient means for going backwards.